Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. And Glenn Leverance. This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Friday, January 13, 2023. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Hilary, Bishop and Doctor of the Church. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverin. Sarah Tafoya is off today. Our studio producer is Gabby Burke. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you. First thing this morning as we get ready for the weekend here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. On Fridays, I always take a moment to uh, to remember the sacred heart of Jesus as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to bring in our morning air news anchor, my colleague uh, Glenn Leverance. Glenn, what are a few of the big stories making headlines uh, here on this Friday morning? You know, classified documents being where they shouldn't be. Some found in an office, of course, uh, right before the election, but announced a few days ago. This is after Vice President Biden left office. Uh, and as President Biden now, he still hanging on to some more, another batch found on his property, uh, in his house, and also in his garage next to his Corvette, John. Yeah, there's a lot of questions. In fact, President Biden uh, spoke uh, to reporters uh, yesterday morning, including uh, Fox News' uh, Peter Ducey, who got him to talk about his uh, Corvette. Classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, look, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So but anyway, in a yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. As part of that process, my lawyers reviewed other places where documents in my, uh, of, from my time as vice president were stored, and they finished the review last night. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings and storage areas and file cabinets in my home and my, in my, my, my personal library. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn Center, the Department of Justice was immediately, as was done, the Department of Justice was immediately uh, uh, notified, and uh, the lawyers arranged for the Department of Justice to take possession of the document. So you're going to see, we're going to see all this unfold. I'm confident. Thank you. Glenn, a lot of questions uh, have arisen from the president's uh, comments. You know, who had access to that garage uh, where his uh, Corvette Stingray uh, laid? Uh, you know, how many people could get in there? Uh, just uh, among uh, the questions. Yeah, again, questions uh, I have for, for both uh, President Biden and President Trump is what they were doing with some of the. Was this just being careless? Uh, obviously, storing, you know, 
classified papers in a garage just in terms of, you know, keeping uh, the integrity of the, the paper they're on for years and years. Not the best idea for those of us that have things in the garage. <laughs> you know, you don't you generally store, you know, important papers out there. Uh, so, you know, I don't know if there were nefarious purposes for that, just being careless or what, but uh, maybe that new independent uh, investigator will will find out. But now both uh, both the current and former president uh, are uh, having where they kept things they shouldn't have had being looked into. Yeah, absolutely. And this was a big story uh, yesterday afternoon. In fact, uh, former assistant U.S. attorney Andy McCarthy uh, spoke to our very own uh, Drew Mariani uh, about the situation. I, I think it's all very uh, puzzling. And that, those are the uh, sort of intriguing aspects of it. it. It's weird, Drew, that at this early stage, we know a lot about the evidence yeah. and what the defense position is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know that they're going to be able to prove that these were classified documents in an unauthorized place and that Biden would say that uh, he inadvertently misplaced them, which really isn't a defense. So we know a lot about like the four corners of the of the evidence. But how we got here at this point and why yeah. and who, you know, pushed this so that we became aware of it. And if there is a political intrigue angle, like somebody doesn't want Biden to run has decided that, uh, you know, he's not uh, a viable 2024 candidate and they're trying to pave the way for him to step aside. Who knows? I mean, that's the kind of stuff we don't know at this point. Uh, and it'll be interesting to to see as, as things yeah. go forward. Glenn, uh, this is a, a major scandal, big problems uh, for the president. The, the timeline uh, just doesn't add up. It, you know, some analysts are saying that the uh, Department of Justice has tried to cover it up for two months. Uh, and and wh- why was it not disclosed uh, before the November 8th uh, midterm elections? That's an interesting point. And then why it's coming out now just a couple weeks before Biden expected to announce a, another run for 2024. Absolutely. Um, the other story, a big story this morning, is uh, unfortunately the, the passing of uh, Lisa Marie uh, Presley uh, at only 54 years old. Yeah, just 54 years old. Elvis's only daughter passed away Wednesday, uh, said to be possibly of cardiac arrest. The previous night, just the night before that, she'd been at the, the Golden Globes, where uh, an award was given out for a portrayal of her father in film as well, in, in addition to having a famous dad, uh, a couple of pretty well-known husbands along the way as well, in terms of Michael Jackson and actor Nicolas Cage. Well, we uh, will keep her in our prayers. May she rest in peace. Um, and finally, uh, minor league baseball has some news this morning. That's right. If you get mad at the ump for not calling the balls and strikes correctly, well, <laughs> now this has been percolating in the low minor leagues for a while, but AAA, one step away from the majors, next year will have half, half of all games called with the balls and strikes done electronically. So you're going to argue with the robot? Probably. <laughs> Super interesting. It'll be interesting to see uh, how the players react and also the umpires. So we will uh, stay tuned to that uh, development in AAA baseball. Uh, as always, thanks so much, Glenn. Hey, sure thing, John. First things first, we always start every morning in prayer, uh, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. 
Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You can always find us on Twitter at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook, and you can send us an email directly, morningair at relevantradio.com. Now, uh, we've been uh, talking about New Year's resolutions these past uh, uh, two weeks uh, from many different perspectives. And the one common denominator to to keep in mind uh, when we talk about resolutions is the importance of discipline. Discipline. We all need discipline in life, uh, but there's a a lot of folks that really don't like uh, the word. They don't like discipline. To some extent, they they really uh, almost hate discipline. So the question is, how can we change our attitude towards discipline? Joining us live this morning from the Chicago area is Morning Air regular contributor Kendra Von Esch with much more on the importance of discipline. Kendra is a speaker, faith coach, podcaster who is passionate about sharing her faith, her supernatural transformation and spiritual experiences while helping others on their journey. She's also the author of Am I Catholic? A Struggle with Faith, Humility, and Surrendering to God. Good morning, Kendra. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again at the start here of this new year, which is already flying by. I know. I can't believe it. Friday the 13th. Happy Friday the 13th. It's already the middle of January. How is your resolution going? Uh, so far, so good. Uh, very timely that we're going to talk about discipline and, and, uh, and you know tying it into our spiritual life because uh, you know I've I made a commitment to start um, uh, continuing to uh, uh, read the Bible more every single day. So that I'm, I'm actually so far so good. I'm really, uh, you know, making good on that uh, and that uh, commitment. Uh, the other one, exercise, not as good. So I need some work on that one. <laughs> I can relate. I can relate. So for me, the discipline word, the D word was so, I hated it. When you say the H word, and I know we as Catholic Christians should not hate anything, but for my worldly life for 42 years, I hated the word discipline. I did not like to have to tell myself no, or to do things that, I, that were hard or difficult, especially for me, talk about exercise, Exercise and dieting were my nemesis for my entire childhood, my adolescence, into my college years, into my professional career, until God finally found me. And I knew that I was made perfectly in his eyes, that I embraced who I was. And I stopped believing the lies of the world that I need to look like those models. I mean, I'm 5'4". I'm never going to be six feet. (laughs) It's just a physical fact. So for me, discipline was something that I equated to punishment. Like when you think about using the word discipline, you think about disciplining a child, you think about, you know, the discipline that you need to study or to further your education, for example, and of course, to diet and exercise. But at the very same time, I would look at people who had discipline, you know, the friends of mine that would work out every day, 
that will go out to dinner and have a nice healthy meal, maybe one glass of wine, and I would be like admiring them. Honestly, probably jealous and envious at the same time because I did not have that in my life because I looked at discipline differently. I had a real bad attitude toward that word. I thought it was a bad word in my life. And that has all changed with God and with us being Christians and Catholics. I mean, we are called to discipline. You mentioned that earlier. Uh, no question about it. In fact, um, the book of Hebrews uh, talks about the importance of, of discipline and, and makes, uh, uh, you know, the, the image or, or shares the image of, of God being like a father that loves his children, loves his sons. And, you know, what, what father that really loves his, his children doesn't discipline them out of love? Right. <laughs> and sometimes we need that self-love. So for me, it's been an interesting journey I'd like to share with you and the listeners. For Advent, during the Advent season, I started a three-day bodily mortification. And I went on my YouTube channel for every single day, and I shared my mind, body, soul types of mortification. Saints tell us we should be denying ourselves or adding things that we don't want to do. This could be prayer for some people, for example, or going to daily Mass that type of stuff, every single day. And then I was paying attention to what was happening as I was trying to control my body and their urges. And I just want to read real quick a, a, the definition, which might psych people up for the word discipline. All right. Discipline is training that produces a behavior or a specific character, especially training, listen to this, that produces moral or mental improvement. That's awesome. Disciplinary training is controlled behavior through enforcing compliance, order, and ultimately self-control, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And if we think about how much freedom and how much empowerment there is, in disciplining our bodily urges and the things that we want to do, we will be amazed at how great we feel when we obviously call on God and thank God when we come up against those temptations and we just kick them to the curb. I actually did a five day and nine hour, but who's counting, <laughs> fast. It was a water fast, a prolonged fast. I started on New Year's Eve, and I ended on Thursday at 9 a.m. in the morning. I didn't have anything but water, some salt, some potassium, vitamin D and vitamin C. Disclaimer, disclaimer, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> so go work with your doctor if that's something you want to do. But I never thought I could do it. And I was amazed at how easy it was and how amazingly powerful and free I felt when I realized, wait a minute, with God, I can do anything. So I hope that everyone looks at discipline now as something good for us and freeing and empowering. So Kendra, uh, how can we change that attitude uh, about discipline and really uh, internalize uh, the reality that discipline is actually good for us? It's good for us uh, physically, uh, emotionally, mentally, and especially spiritually. 
It has to do with paying attention. How often do we blow through our day, it's busy, we got a lot on our plate, and we never stop and pay attention to our thoughts, our emotions, even our body. Is our body anxious and tied up and tight? Or are we very peaceful and we can feel love flowing through us? We can feel the spirit flowing through us. That is what we need to do when we're up against any temptation or when we're being challenged in our training, our disciplinary training that's supposed to help us both mentally and morally, we need to pay attention. What's going on? And then we'll learn, oh, okay, wait a minute. Something is actually attacking me maybe. Maybe I'm having fear that doesn't make any sense or anxiety because I watched the news or because I read this article. Well, if that's giving you anxiety and worry, then maybe that's something you should not do and put away or keep it down to a minimum. And as we keep going on, we're paying attention to when we do face those temptations or those urges, and then we call on God. Maybe we pray a deliverance prayer to kick out that temptation. Maybe we just say, Lord, give me your strength. And when we overcome it, then let's pay attention and celebrate it. Wait a minute, that was really cool, God. I usually cave when that chocolate cake is staring me in the face in the refrigerator. But today, I walked away and it has no hold on me. So I was stuck in that FAA nightmare the other day. I was down in Atlanta, coming back from an, an event speaking at Legatus, call out to them. But I was in the United Club, thank you Lord, I had one last free pass. And usually, John, I will take full advantage of the free food and the free drink and the Prosecco or the wine. or And all the goodies. Have. You got it, because it's free and it's there. And so my deal with myself the night before, because I had a big dinner, I said, I'm going to intermittent fast until dinner. Well, I'm stuck at the airport for hour, hours upon hours upon hours, and I only had tea. And I'm amazed that I only had tea. And I wasn't whining about it. I wasn't complaining about it. I was feeling free and empowered with that. So that's what we have to do is look at how we feel and our thoughts and our minds and our bodies when we are conquering what, you know, the discipline is trying to <laughs> lead us away from. It's really pretty cool. Well, Kendra, it sounds like you're really uh, trying to put it into practice, and so far so good here early in, in the year. Uh, I really appreciate uh, your uh, exhortation, your encouragement, uh, and, uh, and hopefully uh, it'll help our listeners uh, to think about the, the value of uh, discipline. It's something that it, it, it can seem uh, you know, tough, but in the end, uh, you get a lot of peace. Uh, from from discipline and uh, and like you said, as long as it's uh, within God's will, we can do all kinds of things if we uh, discipline ourselves. Thanks so much, Kendra. Amen. God, <laughs> God so bless Have you. Happy weekend, New John. Year. <laughs>
Uh, you too. Take care. Morning Air contributor Kendra Von Esch. You can find her at KendraVonEsch.com. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Juan Carlos Sanchez, the founder of Family Playland, will be with us to talk about three New Year's media resolutions for the entire family. So stay with us on this Friday as Morning Air continues on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. Wake up, America. It's morning air, bringing the light of Christ to start your day. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, uh, along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us here on this Friday morning on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. A number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. 9149. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. The Apostle St. Paul reminds us that the spiritual life is like an athletic competition. Using the language of sports, athletes fight and prepare to win a crown like the Georgia Bulldogs and their recent back-to-back college football national championship. But as spiritual athletes for Christ, our goal is the crown of eternal life, an incorruptible crown with our Lord Jesus Christ and our Blessed Mother, St. Joseph, and all the angels and saints in heaven for all eternity. I want to encourage you to run the race of life and run to win with our Lord Jesus Christ. And we always pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, as we strive to become the best version of ourselves uh, here uh, early in this new year, perhaps we have to uh, dive deep into our lifestyle and things that we are used to doing every day. Uh, Have you really thought about your media consumption? How much time do you spend watching all kinds of shows uh, on television, on your computer, uh, movies, or how much time do you spend on social media? Joining us live from uh, Cooper, Florida, is corporate entrepreneur and Morning Air contributor Juan Carlos Sanchez, the founder of Family Playland, to share some ideas of New Year's media resolutions that we can start implementing right this day for ourselves and for our family. Juan Carlos has a career track record in the international and Hispanic media and entertainment industries. Good morning, Juan Carlos. Thanks so much uh, for joining us this morning. Great to be with you once again here, still early in the New Year. Good morning, John. How are you? And good morning to all your audience. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Doing great. Thanks. Thanks so much. Uh, Juan Carlos, uh, we all know that the media is such a big part of our lives. Uh, Every day uh, we're uh, connected with media of some type. Why do you think it's so important that we consider uh, doing uh, some type of New Year's resolution when it comes to our use of the media? Yeah, as you, as you just said, uh, uh, life is a, a constant competition, and we have to have clear resolutions on how to improve day by day on this on this competition. And definitely something that we've uh, done for now one year uh, in a row is try to bring up new ideas on how to become a better person and how to 
manage media consumption, which is basically every year you see how media keeps growing and growing and expanding inside our daily lives and specifically on the daily lives of kids. So um, we're just trying to see out and what are the tips as we kick up the year, what should be considered uh, at a personal level and among our families, how do we avoid the, the the traps that uh, media and this huge amount of time dedicated to media had uh, to avoid uh, to take away time from other more vital and important elements in our life, like spending time with family or doing activities or sports or taking care of ourselves uh, uh, out there. Juan Carlos, before we, we talk about uh, some of these uh, practical tips that you have for us this morning, do you have a sense of uh, approximately how many hours uh, the average adult and the average kid spends uh, in media of some type? Yeah, so um, what we've seen, and there's tons and tons of literature and studies about this, uh, it's, it's well known that a kid under the age of 17 has been exposed probably 30 times more to media than uh, the amount of time that they spend with their parents. Uh, approximately, probably they won't spend more than uh, five to 6,000 hours in total with their parents under that age. Well, media will have something like 80,000 or 90,000 hours in total of exposure when you add up and stack up all the amount of time they're spending both on TV or cable or internet and social media. So it's it's very, very impressive the, 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 the amount of time. And, and then you have to reflect who, who, is, who is raising our kids and who is the major influence on our kids. And sometimes it's probably a, a corporation um, who is influencing your kid more than mom and dad. And so it's not just the kids, uh, Juan Carlos, because the kids watch what the parents are doing. So if the parents are on, you know, their uh, okay. iPhone uh, uh, and are on uh, media all day long, they, they see that as an example. That's correct. I mean, it starts at home and it's the whole family just going through this process. Uh, and we tend as human beings to repeat what we see, right? So there's a reflex effect so it's it starts uh, with the example set by the parents uh, and people around uh, but also we have to be aware so it's self-awareness of how we're dealing with this on our daily basis so want to invite our listeners if you want to be part of uh, this conversation or if you have any thoughts on media resolutions for the new year we're taking your calls for Juan Carlos Sanchez the founder of Family Playland 888-914-9149 that's 888-914-9149 all right Juan Carlos let's get right to some of your tips what is the first resolution that we can do this year when it comes to Yeah we we're thinking about three different, three different uh, resolutions. The, f the first one is not to binge, right? So, I mean, this is something that was trendy uh, probably seven, eight years ago, but that's, uh, that's the concept that was um, uh, brought up by a lot of streaming services, right? Binging. So it's how much time can you spend uh, watching over and over again a specific program. So this year what we are proposing is do not binge, right? Um, basically take care of the amount and quantity of content that you are consuming at home. Uh, spend less time in front of the screens. And it's very it's a very simple effect. When you, The more screens you have at home, 
the more time you're going to spend watching content. So it's it's like trying to go back a little bit in time and just keeping one screen, two screens at home. And a screen, we're counting phones and we're counting uh, laptops and computers. So it's it's we used to have just one screen at home or yeah half the tv the family tv now we have to worry about many many uh screens six screens i think the average national average is is, is getting close to five screens per household so wow. more screens you have uh, the more time you're going to spend the second one we're thinking about is do not gobble up right so it's also like trying it's it's a parallel or 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 a comparison with what we do with food right try to select the quality of the content that we're watching i mean it's it's going to be very difficult for someone not to be watching or being entertained that's fine but if you're going to do it just be more conscious about the type and the quality of the content that you're letting come into your household for you and for your kids so that's something that we have to be really careful, spend a little bit of time selecting what is coming in. Think about it as calories. Are you going to intake um, young food or is this quality calories you're bringing in? It's the same thing. This is just not affecting your body, but it's affecting your soul. So it, not all movies are made equal, right? So not all series are made equal. So the minimum we have to do uh, to try to keep up the pace with life is hey, let's try to Select good quality, up, uprising, uh, wholesome content uh, that, that is fitting in our soul and our minds. So that will be the second one. Yeah, Juan Carlos, how challenging is it uh, for the average uh, family, for the average parents uh, to uh, select what you call wholesome quality programs? Uh, because there's so much junk out there. I mean, of course, there, there's, there's good programs, and, and many of them are showcased uh, on your website at uh, familyplayland.com, but there's also a lot of stuff that can be harmful to kids, and, and sometimes they don't even know that it's harmful. And that's what we're trying to do nowadays at Family Playland. We spend a lot of time trying to discern and select and curate. There's professionals trying to discern that for the family and what's try to select and curate what's convenient. And it's not easy. You're absolutely right. That takes time. That takes effort. Sometimes we're drawing by advertising and marketing. You have to try bringing uh, audiences that to, to specific projects. And, and we have to be smart. We have to be on a constant uh, education about what's good and what's not for our kids. We have to inform that criteria. We have to as parents, we have the responsibility to inform ourselves before just opening what is called the black window uh, to, to uh, the black mirror to our kids, right? So these phones, you don't know what's going to be coming out of that. So we have to make sure that we have a, a good habit of making reviews of, of, of content, uh, talk to friends, uh, try to uh, have conversations around that. Uh, schools sometimes will give you some of this guidance. Uh, there's sites that you can go in. At Family, we try, we're trying now to have reviews of content that we recommend and analyze, right? You can, it's, it's a constant effort and, and you have to be smart about this. All right, Juan Carlos, uh, what's the third resolution um, that we can do when it comes to uh, to watching media? Yeah, the the third uh, resolution we're, we we we're talking this year is about not trying not to get lost in media land. Try, and and what we mean with this is basically try to not isolate yourself or 
or let your kid isolate just spending hours and hours and hours watching uh, in isolation. And again, it used to be uh, that TV was a collective experience, right? You're watching the game together. You're watching the series together. You're watching something in a family room together. But now, because you have uh, small screens, you can take your own personal television to your own room so you can have uh, five people in a household and the five of them are being entertained separately. So what we're trying to do a campaign this year is to try not to get lost in media land by uh, suggesting uh, titles that enable what is called co-viewing, which is basically uh, trying to look for content that enables getting the family together and watching and having an experience together. Yeah, basically having fun and preventing isolation through technology and media. As a parent, uh, what do you do when, when, when you find out that your child is, is watching something that you really don't want them to be watching? How, how do you deal, it, deal with it uh, with discipline at the same time in a charitable way? Yeah, I think it's all about communication and it's having a conversation with them uh, and trying to put yourself in their place as well. Like, why are they doing this? What are we doing wrong at home? Uh, to enable this type of behavior and access, right? So definitely trying to, first of all, uh, um, uh, following up on what is that they're watching. There's tons and tons of devices and um, and uh, software right now that you can um, uh, monitor what your kid is watching to prevent this type of situation. But also, I think it's, it's basic communication. It's, it's trying to... Um, give them the tools to navigate uh, when they're being exposed to form the criteria of what is good and what is bad. Have those conversations because inevitable they're going to be exposed to anything on these new devices and they just need to form that criteria to be able to uh, have the will to pull out out of a bad situation. We're joined this morning by Juan Carlos Sanchez, uh, the founder of Family Playland. When we're talking about uh, New Year's resolutions when it comes to media consumption. And obviously, uh, Juan Carlos, this is a, an issue that you are passionate about and, and you think it's important enough that we should really take a look at where we're at here at the beginning of the year and make these resolutions. Absolutely. Uh, definitely. I mean, there's tons and tons of them. We're right now, we'll share more of these at our www.familyplayland.com. Um, obviously, one of the things that we, simple things, right? So one of the habits some families and friends of us have is how do we fast on, on media, like on Sundays? How do we, how do we make sure that we, we sacrifice a little bit uh, on the indulgence of media on special days, right? Like Sundays, can we, can we just, just not turn on the TV, not turn on the phone? and get away a little bit from uh, what we call the television land or media land and go out, go out to worship, go out to have fun, go out to have sports. So it's incredible the amount of time that we will have in our hands. The average time spent by an average family in America right now is close to five, four to five hours of exposure to media on a daily basis. So there's, there's a lot of activities that we could be doing out there especially kids. So it's just that, just having a little bit of conscience and control uh, and set up goals this year, set up goals. What about uh, 
families that are uh, sports crazy and spend, you know, Sundays, for example. And I, I know that, you know, football has become almost like a religion. And I mean, it, some people spend the entire day glued to the TV watching NFL football. What do you say to those folks? Definitely, there's a saying, right? Like in, in media and advertising, there's a saying that sports is a, is a religion. And, and, and that's a reality. I mean, it's it takes so much time of our daily lives that we're not saying don't uh, watch it because that's like people have the right to be entertained. Uh, families have the right to share quality space. So when it, when it gets out there, just try to use this as a family event or try to do this together. But don't sacrifice quality time with your family. Don't sacrifice or be what we call enslaved to media uh, for just the, the sake of being enslaved. I mean, yes, you, you, you can have naturally uh, assist to a game and be there, but it, there, there has to be limits. Uh, I mean, uh, the effort that we uh, media it does is, is try to keep you sticking uh, to that screen. So we, yes, if, if, if someone is doing it, just be conscious about it and, and limit it, limit it. Um, so it doesn't invade other important aspects of your family, of your uh, vitality with your families, or with you don't sacrifice the raising up kids, especially, right? So that's that's a crisis we've been living for many many years, and it's just a matter of balance, I believe, and having clear resolutions every year and say, okay, these are the limits. This makes sense. This is just an exaggeration, and we need to cut back and adjust. It's it's, it's basically balancing uh, your your household. Uh, budget in this case you're just balancing the amount of time you're spending on something that uh, that, that does not necessarily return uh, positive things for your family well Juan Carlos uh, all these ideas are all really good resolutions uh, that uh, we can try to uh, put uh, into uh, to play here in this new year. Um, the one about fasting on Sundays may seem uh, a little challenging uh, for some families, but maybe uh, it might be something as simple as fasting part of Sunday, especially mornings. If we uh, give it to the Lord and make sure that the mornings on Sundays is about our Lord, get to Mass as a family and make that a top priority, then maybe it's okay to watch the NFL later in the day. Absolutely. Again, it's a matter of balance and priorities. So uh, that's the that should be a plan. It should be consciously planned and and considered. And again, like the the effect is not seen immediately. The effect is is an accumulation of hours, right? So when you accumulate one year, two years, and you add up all of these media spend time, uh, you see the effects. You see the effects for, on the good side or on the bad side. So I think it's something important. We have to think and reflect about it. Now, at the beginning of the year, and try to be disciplined in that area uh, for the sake and the benefit of our families. Uh, if you want more tips and more information, you can go to familyplayland.com and our blog. You'll find uh, some experts talking about this at the beginning of the year. Well, I think this is an important topic, uh, media consumption, you know, four to five hours a day for the average family. That's a lot. So uh, I really appreciate uh, you, you being with us as always. Again, the website, familyplayland.com. Thanks so much, uh, Juan Carlos, for being with us. Thank you and have a great year. We need to take a short break. When we come back, Bishop Daniel Muggenberg will look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance. Stay with us. There's much more to come on Morning Air after this. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview. 
This is Morning Air. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air on another Friday dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. And now it's time to look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Always keep in mind that the Word of God in the Gospels, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, is powerful. When the Gospel, the Book Eternal, is proclaimed, Christ is passing by. Jesus is speaking to you. So listen carefully, folks, as Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, Bishop of Reno, Nevada, shares his weekly reflection on this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance. A Gospel reading for the second Sunday in Ordinary Time comes from John chapter 1. Verses 29 through 34. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one of whom I said, A man is coming after me who ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. I did not know him, but the reason why I came baptizing with water was that he might be made known to Israel. John testified further, saying, I saw the Spirit come down like a dove from heaven and remain upon him. I did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, On whomever you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now I have seen and testified that he is the Son of God. And time now to take a look at that Gospel reading for the second Sunday in Ordinary Time out of the Gospel of John, first chapter, 29 through 34 for the verses there. Bishop Daniel Muggenberg joins us from the Diocese of Reno, Nevada. Once again, Bishop Muggenberg, Happy New Year. Happy to have you along as well. And good to be here, Glenn. Happy New Year to you as well. Well, in our reading, uh, we've got John giving testimony to our Lord and uh, kind of talking a little bit about some of his titles as well and the role of Jesus as the the Lamb of God. Yes, John's primary witness um, in the Gospel of John is that of bearing testimony uh, to Jesus. That that's his that's his ministry, um, and and we see John doing that um, even more so than baptizing. Um, and John bears witness to Jesus in this passage by first and foremost proclaiming him as the Lamb of God. Um, a title that we hear every time we celebrate Mass and we and we see the Eucharist being offered to us. But in this particular context, it's really announcing Jesus to the world in his most profound identity and mission. We hear that language, Lamb of God, quite often, but uh, do we realize really the, the role of the Lamb is the sacrifice for so many years leading up to that perfect sacrifice of Christ? And that's really important to recognize exactly what you pointed out, because so many people hear that description of being the Lamb of God, and they think it's a, a description of Jesus as being gentle, you know, or, or some other type of innocent um, description like that. But when he calls Jesus the Lamb of God, he's really referring to the lamb of sacrifice, the Passover lamb. And so um, the Passover lamb, of course, brought salvation to a household for one night. But Jesus is the true lamb of God who brings salvation to the world for eternity. And he does it through the shedding of his blood, his sacrifice on the cross itself. Um, and John's gospel, when we get to chapter 19, the, the moment of Jesus's passion, John's gospel is going to include a lot of elements that, that are all related to the Passover lamb. But those, those elements are now going to be attributed to Jesus instead, because John doesn't want us to miss the fact that his deepest identity, his deepest mission is that of saving the world through, through his death and resurrection. 
in the mission of John the Baptist uh, to save the world by uh, pointing to the need for repentance and, uh, and pointing to the Christ. And he does such a good job that we can take as a great example of uh, whatever we do, having it point to Christ. Yeah, everything is. You know, John's whole ministry was so that Jesus could increase and John would decrease. Um, he he readily diverted people's attention away from himself and put it on Jesus. And that's what he's doing now for his own disciples, basically telling his own disciples, that's him. Go follow him now. You know, um, don't stay with me anymore. Um, he's the one uh, the, 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 that is the fulfillment of your hopes and your expectations. Um, so John, John really um, understood his whole ministry, his whole identity in relationship to who Jesus is. And that's important for us because, you know, sometimes we try to come up with our own identity on our own, especially in today's contemporary world. But when we understand that we receive our identity as a gift from God, and that we can only have our identity when we put God in the center of our lives and 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 uh, and everything revolves around Him, then that changes that, that that changes everything. It changes our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with others, and it also brings within us a certain kind of openness and receptivity to welcome whatever God wants to give us. Mm. That testimony that, that we have, we have it whether we know we're uh, speaking that testimony or not as people watch our lives. And John's actions are uh, really a good reminder for us to, to be aware of that testimony at all times. It's very true. And there's a, there's a little saying that says, the message is only credible when the messenger is credible. And so, in order for people to believe what we have to say about Jesus, our life has to bear witness to uh, something that is trustworthy, attractive, credible, etc. And uh, and that's an important part of being a witness. You know, it's not just what we say; uh, it's also um, the uh, the credibility of how we're living. One of the the interesting components of that too, with, with our testimony, in terms of sharing our story with others, we want our life and how we live to be that testimony. But when we share our story, it's not like we're having an argument with someone about, oh, you really ought to follow Christ because that's better than something else. But when we can say what a difference it's made in our life, that's something that can't be argued with. And and that's a very good point. I mean, that's really how evangelization happens. Uh, it's not that we're telling other people what they should do. It's really we're sharing with them what God has done in us uh, and, and how they could benefit from that. You know, it's really an invitation. Uh, it, it is it is more a proposing of faith rather than an imposing of it. And do we do well to to uh, leave space for others to have a different experience with Christ than we do, and it's still valid? <laughs> yes, uh, uh, the reality is that the encounter with Christ is deeply personal for each person. And, um, you know, we all come to the Lord in need of salvation in one way or another. So my experience of God's saving grace in my life may very well be different from yours or for someone else, but yet it is the same God who accomplishes those works. And there's always an element of consistency within that. And, and that's where I think the wisdom of the church helps us discern an authentic encounter with Christ, perhaps from something that may not be as authentic. When we think of uh, witness and testimony, nothing more spectacular, right, than the incarnation of our Lord. But as we head into ordinary time here, talk a little about the importance of being able to testify to the Lord in ordinary times and ordinary life. 
We refer to these um, numbered weeks of the year, like first Sunday, second Sunday, third Sunday, fourth Sunday. We refer to that as ordinary time um, simply because they are numbered and they're not part of our times of preparation, Advent or Lent, or our times of you know exceptional celebration like Christmas or Easter. But ordinary time also will take us through the gospel narrative. Uh, we will read of Jesus's miracles, his teachings, uh, will of, of his healings, etc. And as we do that, we're meant to identify in each of those individual gospel readings, and we're meant to journey with Jesus um, through his life and ministry, um, and to eventually, you know, accompany him um, in his passion and cross in Jerusalem. So ordinary time is a phenomenal experience of daily growth in the Christian way of, of, of discipleship. And real growth does happen, you know, in very ordinary ways every day. Um, certainly growth can happen in exceptional moments, that's true. But, but the development of uh, habits of virtue and the overcoming of weakness and vice and sin and temptation, those happen through daily practices uh, where we are fostering the, uh, the proper um, habits um, or, or, um, uh, or adapting the proper safeguards. So those are very ordinary things that lead us in the way of holiness. Well, let us continue to, to march forward in that ordinary time, uh, giving great testimony to our Lord and, uh, and thanks and coming out of the Christmas season as well. We thank you always for your great insight, Bishop Mungenberg, if you'd be so kind as to wrap us up with your blessing this week. The Lord be with you. And may the blessing of Almighty God, who sent his Son to be our saving Lamb of sacrifice, always inspire within us the desire to come to the Lord and accept his mercy um, and receive the gift of salvation and respond to him by living in communion with him every day of our lives, especially throughout this next year. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And thank you, Bishop Muggenberg. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called God is Merciful. Once upon a time, a powerful king had a large orchard. It was filled with a vast variety of fruit trees. His majesty employed a skilled gardener to tend the trees. Each day, the gardener would pick the most ripe and juicy fruits from the various trees and gather them in a basket. Every morning, when the royal court was in session, the gardener would go and present the fruits to the king. One day, the gardener collected some cherries and took them to the royal palace. It just so happened that day the king was in a foul mood. He carefully picked a cherry to sample, only to find it was sour. The king vented his anger at the gardener. In a fit of rage, he launched a cherry right at his servant. It hit the poor gardener square in the forehead. The gardener's response... God is merciful. Greatly puzzled, the king inquired, God is merciful. You must be hurt and angry. Why did you say that? The gardener replied, Your Majesty, my original plan today was to bring you pineapples. This could have been so much worse. God was merciful for prompting me to change my mind. Romans 8.28, We know that all things work for good for those who love God who are called according to His purpose. As always, thanks so much, Glenn. That is one of my all-time favorite scriptures. Now, coming up next hour here on Morning Air, Monsignor James Shea, the president of the University of Mary, will explain how reality is not arbitrary, especially when it comes to gender and the defense of human life. Catholic attorney Mary Helen Fiorito will discuss building a civilization of love in a post-Roe world. 
Plus, Father Richard Roca, the chaplain of the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, will be with us to give us his take on the uh, Bills uh, DeMar Hamlin's miraculous recovery from uh, his uh, injury on the field and talk some faith and NFL football of the playoff variety. So stay with us. There is much more to come in the final hour of this Friday edition of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.